This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking with Dr. Shemez Ladani, who's calling in from London. He's a pediatric infectious disease specialist and the clinical lead for vaccine-preventable diseases at Public Health England. We'll be discussing his article about the introduction of pneumococcal vaccines in the UK. Welcome, Dr. Ladani. Hi, Sarah. So let's start with some basics here. What is invasive pneumococcal disease? Is it what people call pneumonia? Sarah, pneumococcal disease um, is a term that's used to describe infections caused by this particular bacterium called Streptococcus pneumoniae or the pneumococcus. And the reason it's called pneumococcus is it was identified as the cause of pneumonia more than 100 years ago. But we know that this organism actually causes a whole range of infections across the life course. So it is commonly carried in the nose and the throat of young children and doesn't really cause much of an infection in the majority of them. Occasionally, however, they do get uh, local infections of the ear and the throat, uh, but these are usually self-limiting and uh, get cured with oral antibiotics. The pneumococcal disease that we worry about most is actually the more invasive infections, such as pneumonia and septicemia, and the worst of them all is pneumococcal meningitis, which is associated with a lot of morbidity and mortality across the world. Uh, so this is the same thing as pneumococcal meningitis, right? Yes. So meningitis is an infection of the lining of the brain. And uh, meningitis can be caused by a whole range of bacteria and viruses. The pneumococcus is one of the most important causes of bacterial meningitis, and it is one of the nastiest causes of bacterial meningitis because it's associated with a very high case fatality rate. On top of that, up to a third of those who develop pneumococcal meningitis and survive the infection end up with very serious long-term complications ranging from deafness to blindness to epilepsy and developmental delay. There are other causes of meningitis, though, too, right? Yes. So the term meningitis literally means an inflammation of the lining of the brain, and there's a whole range of causes. It can be infectious or non-infectious, and of the infectious causes, it tends to be bacteria or viruses. And the distinction is that viral meningitis usually is self-limiting and doesn't cause any long-term problems. But bacterial meningitis, while rare, is associated with a lot of morbidity and mortality. Your article notes that there are different um, pneumococcal serotypes. Uh, so tell us what a serotype is. So the pneumococcus um, is, is uh, very, very common uh, in carriage in young children. And they're not all the same. They all differ in terms of the genetics of the bacteria and also the outer sugar coating of this bacteria because it is this outer sugar coating that gives them very characteristic features. And different sugar coatings are known as serotypes. So different serotypes have got different sugar coatings and they behave like different strains of the bacteria. Now, the pneumococcus is one of those that has almost 100 different serotypes. And that's important because uh, the vaccines that we have at the moment only target some of the serotypes and not all the serotypes. 
So even the best vaccines that we have against pneumococcal disease will only protect against a proportion of the pneumococcal bacteria that are carried by children and other age groups. Uh, Okay, are the same serotypes then found everywhere or do they kind of cluster in one place? No, so different regions of the world have different distributions of these serotypes. What we do know is that some serotypes are much more invasive and severe and others are not so much. Some serotypes cause particular infections such as meningitis or septicemia or pneumonia. And then there are other serotypes that just sit at the back of the throat and are not very good at causing invasive disease. So each serotype behaves very differently. And different countries have different distributions of of these serotypes. But the more invasive and severe serotypes tend to be found across most parts of the world. So the vaccines that have been developed have targeted those major serotypes, which are essentially found in the majority of countries across the world. Okay, so speaking of vaccines, could you briefly uh, remind us how vaccines actually work? The pneumococcal vaccines have been around for more than three decades. The original vaccines literally took the sugar capsule of these bacteria and injected it into people, and they would develop antibodies against the sugar capsule. And that vaccine worked and protected adults against pneumonia and invasive disease due to the serotypes in that vaccine. But polysaccharide vaccines or sugar-coated vaccines or sugar-based vaccines do not work in young children because their immune system doesn't recognize the sugar capsule. So it was really very innovative when conjugate vaccines were developed where they took the sugar capsule and connected it to a protein, and any protein would do. And then the immune system of young babies could actually see both the sugar and the protein. And that's the basis of the conjugate vaccines, which has completely revolutionized the way we uh, prevent invasive bacterial infections in children and adults. And what is very unique about these conjugate vaccines is that not only do they protect the children against disease, but it stops them carrying the bacteria. And so then they do not transmit it to other children and adults. So what ends up as a childhood vaccine ends up providing population protection. So 80% of the reduction in pneumococcal disease that we see with these conjugate vaccines comes from Um, prevention in adults who have the biggest burden of disease because the children are just not transmitting these strains to the adults. Okay, so the UK began using the PCV7 vaccine in 2006. Uh, Really, what effect did it have on, on new meningitis cases? So the UK was quite unique in that it was almost six years behind the US in introducing the seven valent vaccine. The U.S. introduced PCV7 in 2000, and uh, the U.K. only began vaccinating children in 2006. And by then, we had very good information about how effective this vaccine is. And essentially, within four years, uh, we virtually eliminated those seven major serotypes that the vaccine protects against, not only in disease, but also in carriage. So the unique thing about this vaccine, as I said, is that it directly protects children against all pneumococcal disease by these seven serotypes, 
But because these children also don't carry these serotypes, older children and adults were also protected. So 80% of the benefit of the vaccination program was seen in the adults who did not get disease due to this particularly nasty serotypes. Okay, but then the UK started using a different one in uh, a different vaccine called PCV13 in 2010. And you made this change because? So one of the things that became very clear with these vaccines is that we do know that children under two years of age, up to half of them carry the pneumococcus at the back of their nose and throat. When you vaccinate them with a a conjugate vaccine such as PCV7, the elimination of carriage of those seven serotypes is immediately replaced by new serotypes. So even now, 50% of children will continue to carry the pneumococcus, but the serotypes will be different because they no longer carry the pneumococcal vaccine serotypes, they carry new serotypes. So by 2010, what we had seen is complete replacement of this pneumococci in carriage in the children uh, with new serotypes that hadn't been around it before. And these new serotypes were causing even more disease in children and in adults. And what we found is that actually, unlike all other forms of pneumococcal disease, these new serotypes had a particular predilection for meningitis. And so when we looked at the overall impact of the PCV7, by 2010, all the meningitis cases that were reduced because of the vaccine serotypes had been replaced by new serotypes that weren't covered by the vaccine. So when a new vaccine um, was licensed in 2010 that provided protection against six new serotypes in addition to the seven, we immediately shifted to the new vaccine to provide added protection to these children. So people that were vaccinated with the 2006 one or like in the 90s, I don't know, vaccinated with something else, yeah, should they go back and get, should they now go back and get this PCV13 one, even though they're adults now? So the advantage of the conjugate vaccines is that it provides population protection. So if you have a country that has a very good childhood immunization program, such as the UK or the United States, giving PCV13 to the children will mean that they will no longer carry those serotypes in the vaccine, and therefore they will not transmit it to the adults or the older adults. So they're automatically protected by the childhood immunization program. Uh, Herd immunity. Exactly. Okay. So did this change produce any unexpected or even expected effects? So what was quite unusual in what we found is that the vaccine seemed to have a very differential effect depending on the clinical disease that we were seeing. So we've always reported very good reductions in vaccine-type pneumococcal disease with both vaccines. We also noted huge reductions in children uh, more than adults because they were directly benefiting from the program. What was unexpected when we did the formal analysis is that the replacement in meningitis happened very quickly with PCV7. And that tells us that the replacing serotypes that came in after PCV7 was established actually were 
particularly keen to cause meningitis more than other presentations. So we saw very little reduction in meningitis incidence with the PCV7. But when PCV13 came in, what we found is that we had an almost 50% reduction in pneumococcal meningitis cases across the population. And that's because the vaccine was targeting those very serotypes that were causing a large burden of meningitis after PCV7 came in. And the new serotypes that are replacing PCV13 actually do not seem to be able to cause as much meningitis. Okay. So that was unexpected because we weren't expecting different effects on different on, on the different clinical presentation. Uh, uh, okay, so um, there's a pneumococcal vaccine for uh, older adults that starting at 65 or people that have um, respiratory problems like asthma or CPOD. Um, is this this PCV13, is, is that one of those? So what was very unusual at the time is that when PCV13 was licensed, the United States was one of the only countries that recommended giving PCV13 to adults at 65 and over, while other countries refrained from making that recommendation on the basis that the childhood program, on the basis that the childhood immunization program would provide herd immunity over the course of one or two years that would protect all the adults and the older adults. So. We did not recommend Prevenal 13 for our older adults. What we do use in the older adults is a vaccine called uh, the 23-valent polysaccharide vaccine or PPV23 vaccine. This is a vaccine that just contains a sugar capsule. It doesn't work in children, but it does work in adults, and it helps protect against 23 different serotypes. It's not as effective as a conjugate vaccine, but because we hardly have any PCV13 serotypes, most of the diseases that we see in adults are actually covered by this polysaccharide vaccine. Ah, that's very interesting because, yes, I know the recommendations here in the States is to have them both now. So it was until recently, and my understanding is that has now changed, and the PCV13 is no longer recommended because there isn't much of PCV13 disease oh. in the U.S., they are moving to only the polysaccharide vaccine. Oh, that's very new then. That's very new, yes. I think it was last month. Oh, really very new. Yes. Okay. It's most interesting. Well, I have asthma, so having nothing to do with age, I've had both. Um, so I guess I'm somewhat covered, eh? <laughs> yes. So, I mean, and the big thing is really, you know, we do understand how important children are in transmitting these infections to the others, you know to their parents and their grandparents especially. And by protecting children, the benefit that we get across the population is absolutely huge. Yes, I can see how that would be. Um, okay, well, let's leap into your study now. Tell us about your study. I am the clinical lead for the surveillance of a number of vaccine-preventable diseases in England. And our job is to make sure that the vaccine program is running smoothly and that we have enough information to make sure that the program is safe and it's effective and it's doing what it's supposed to do as we had predicted before bringing the vaccine in. So I have been working on the pneumococcal vaccine for the last 10 years or so and I have been involved with this program since 
uh, PCV13 uh, replaced PCV7 in 2010. And what we do is we have a national surveillance where every hospital in, in England reports invasive infections such as pneumococcal disease to Public Health England and they submit their isolates to us so that we know what serotype is causing the disease. So we are in a very fortunate position in that we can actually undertake surveillance across the whole country. That's a population of nearly 50 million people and we get almost 6,000 invasive disease uh, notifications every year. So it's a big number and it's a lot of work but it is so important to be able to maintain what is essentially a very expensive national immunization program. And we have been reporting every few years on the impact of PCV7 and PCV13 and uh, how the disease rates have changed over time. What is unique about this one is that we were able to report on the changes that we saw with pneumococcal meningitis. And we're particularly interested in meningitis because it's only responsible for 5% of all invasive pneumococcal disease. So it's a small proportion of the invasive disease cases that we monitor. But because it is so severe with a case fatality of, of nearly 17.5%, um, it comes with a lot of burden to the community and, and to society. And we know that up to a third of those who survive the pneumococcal meningitis end up having serious long-term complications. We also know that half of all the pneumococcal meningitis cases occur in children under five years of age. So you can see that these children are going to suffer from their complications for a very long time once they recover. So we wanted to make sure that uh, the vaccine was protecting uh, the population against meningitis as much as it was protecting other, against other forms of disease. And it's quite unique because not many countries are able to undertake such studies because of the small numbers of cases. And therefore, looking at trends over time can be difficult uh, if you don't have a consistent uh, surveillance program with very high case ascertainment. Do you have any findings that we haven't um, covered yet from your study? So the findings that I think are very exciting is that children have definitely benefited from the program in terms of all forms of pneumococcal disease and rates of disease in children remain much, much lower than before the program. So this vaccine has done amazing. We have over the last 10 years prevented more than 40,000 cases of pneumococcal disease. Um, so it has done its job. What we find difficult to reconcile at the moment is that we're seeing a lot of replacement disease in the adults and the older adults at the moment. And the benefits of the program in terms of reducing vaccine-type disease are basically being eroded by disease caused by these new serotypes that have emerged that previously would not have caused a lot of infections. Mm. And the good news about the study that we've done is that these new serotypes do not seem to be causing a lot of meningitis. So meningitis is benefiting disproportionately compared to the other forms, which is actually a good thing. Uh, Dr. Ladani, um, how is your study different than other research done on this topic? I think you said yours was more extensive. So 
the uniqueness about this study is literally the number of cases because we have a surveillance program for 50 million. Uh, no other country has a, such a surveillance program to monitor uh, vaccination uh, across a population. Within the United States, which is probably uh, similar to the UK, they have uh, regions across the US uh, where they collect the information from. And apart from these two countries, there are not many other countries that have such a large population to monitor. And that gives us the advantage of being able to detect small trends very quickly and be able to modify our immunization program to get the most benefits uh, with the current vaccines. I already asked you this, but um, let's go back to were there any other um, unexpected findings or effects that you discovered in your study or doing your study? So I think one of the most interesting parts of the surveillance is really um, how unpredictable pneumococcal disease can be. As with any other infectious diseases, they are stochastic and they vary across different parts of the world. And I think what is very unique when we're doing our analysis is how different countries have seen such different effects with the same vaccines for a whole range of reasons. Uh, For example, we have reported very high levels of replacement disease compared to the other countries, and we don't understand why we see more replacement than other countries. Uh, What was unique is that different countries have benefited differently from the same vaccination program. This is probably due to a whole range of uh, things ranging from, for example, the serotypes that were causing disease at the time of vaccination, the serotypes that the children were carrying at the time of vaccination, the exposure to the new serotypes. So, for example, the the lack of an effect of PCV7 that we saw in the UK is not replicated in other countries. In the US, for example, there were large reductions in pneumococcal meningitis that were associated with PCV7, and similarly large reductions were seen after PCV13 replaced PCV7. But countries such as Israel and the UK have seen uh, that the benefits of PCV7 were rapidly eroded because of replacement disease. Other countries such as France were rebounding pneumococcal meningitis because of the emergence of new serotypes after PCV7. What is reassuring is that PCV13 seems to be better at controlling pneumococcal meningitis than PCV7 was. Uh, but it, we still have a big burden of pneumococcal disease, even though it is lower than before. And what we really do need is a universal vaccine against pneumococcal disease that doesn't rely on these serotypes and can just prevent all pneumococcal infections, because that is the only way we will be able to control this disease. Okay, so is that in the works anywhere, or is that just a goal or an idea at this point? It is something that has been uh, in the pipeline for many decades. The pneumococcus is one of the most versatile organisms, which is why it has survived for so long, despite the advent of antibiotics and so many vaccines. There just doesn't seem to be a way of developing a universal vaccine against pneumococcus. And at the moment, all we have is new vaccines in the pipeline that cover more serotonin. Uh But the idea is that if you remove the most invasive and aggressive serotypes, 
and the remaining serotypes really do not have that same level of invasiveness. So you will get less severe disease and you're less likely to have uh, long-term morbidity and mortality. And we do see that these new serotypes are less fatal uh, and also they cause less meningitis. So, and the other thing that we have noticed is that these new serotypes are more likely to affect those with underlying serious comorbidities. So healthy people are less likely to get pneumococcal disease at the moment. So we are definitely heading in the right direction. And even with replacement disease, the burden of disease is not as great as it was before in terms of the disease severity, but it is around. Uh, and it's going to be around for quite a while because there isn't any vaccine in the pipeline that looks promising against all pneumococcal infections. Um, you've, you mentioned age and, and said that most people that get this are small children. Um, so is that the biggest effect on the incidence in the UK um, age? Yes. So for meningitis to occur, the bacteria have to get into the bloodstream and then they have to cross this very protective blood-brain barrier to enter uh, what is quite a sacred place in terms of uh, the area and the fluid surrounding the brain. And Infants have a very immature membrane compared to the adults and therefore are more prone to meningitis. As they get older, the risk of meningitis becomes less and less. So if you can prevent pneumococcal infections in the first five years of life, then you are disproportionately going to benefit meningitis because these children are less likely to develop meningitis. Let me ask you one more time. Were there any other findings that surprised you? One of the other things that surprised me actually is that the case fatality rate has not changed. So we have seen a reduction in disease because of the PCV13. We have seen that the serotypes causing pneumococcal meningitis are now virtually all non-PCV serotypes. So they are all the new emerging serotypes. But the case fatality, the chances of dying from pneumococcal meningitis has not gone down, even though the risk of developing the meningitis is lower. Uh. And what that tells us is that actually, once you develop the meningitis, then it doesn't seem to matter which serotype causes the meningitis. Your outcome is decided by your response to that infection. And that is a real shame because it means that those who get meningitis are still going to come out worse from it, even if the serotypes are different. That's, yeah, that's not good. That's not good. So what we're learning with meningitis is that much of the damage that occurs within the brain and the surrounding area is due to the inflammation in the immune system attacking the bacteria rather than the bacteria themselves. So actually the serotype or the bug itself is less important, but the way the host tries and destroys the bacteria is very important in determining the long-term outcomes. In the big picture, how will this research be important to public health? So one of the things uh, that is important is providing clinicians with frontline information. So it is important to be able to tell uh, parents about the effectiveness of these vaccines and how it prevents meningitis. Uh, for pediatricians, it's important to uh, inform parents uh, of the outcomes of uh, pneumococcal meningitis. 
for policymakers, pneumococcal meningitis is one of the most expensive diseases uh, in terms of healthcare costs, and it's important to know what contribution meningitis makes to the total burden of disease. And for the vaccine manufacturers, I think it's important for them to know which of these new emerging serotypes are more likely to cause meningitis. And while the numbers of cases might be very low, it is important to consider these serotypes in new vaccines because preventing meningitis has a preferential benefit compared to pneumonia, for example, which is less likely to be fatal. Okay, then um, everyone should get their uh, vaccines, right? These these pneumococcal vaccines, these P- PCV ones? The immunization strategy in the U.S. is very different to other countries where there's a nationally funded program. So in the U.S., individual protection plays a much bigger role because individuals essentially pay for the vaccines that they receive. And when you have individual protection, then every person who gets vaccinated will be protected. In a national immunization program, the priorities are to use the healthcare resources as efficiently as one can to reduce the burden of disease uh, in terms of healthcare costs. So in the UK, for example, because of the large herd immunity effect of these pneumococcal vaccines, it is unlikely that uh, the UK would recommend an adult pneumococcal conjugate immunization program because the majority of those infections would be protected through a childhood immunization program where there is high vaccine uptake. So in the UK, we are very focused on ensuring that 95% of all our children at least receive their primary immunization so that we can maintain this herd immunity. What are some of the potential next steps for you and for policymakers? So, the UK is going through a very exciting phase with the pneumococcal immunization program at the moment because uh, it has recently been decided that we will be moving uh, to a one plus one pneumococcal immunization schedule for children. So, just to give you a bit of background, Sarah, the Pneumococcal conjugate vaccines, PCV7 and PCV13, were both licensed as a 3 plus 1 schedule, which means you give three doses of the vaccine to infants and then a booster in the second year of life. The UK was very unique in 2006 in that it only recommended two infant doses with a booster in the second year of life after doing clinical trials that showed that two doses provided adequate protection uh, to infants until they receive their booster. And that was quite a unique move. And in fact, as a result of the UK surveillance program, we were able to show that the two plus one schedule was very, very effective. And nearly all countries around the world have moved to a two plus one schedule with the pneumococcal conjugate vaccines. In the US, it is still three plus one. But I think that's one of the very few countries that have maintained that schedule. What has changed is that in the last couple of years, we have shown that a one plus one schedule may be sufficient to sustain the UK herd immunity on the basis that even though a single dose in infants isn't very protective, the boosting dose in one year is almost equivalent to a two plus one or a three plus one schedule. And because most of the disease reduction 
the country is being maintained through herd immunity, you don't particularly need very high levels of protection in infants because they will be protected through herd immunity. So the UK has decided that infants will only receive one dose in infancy followed by a booster in the second year of life. Now, this has raised a lot of interest internationally as well because it would make a program much more cost-efficient if fewer doses could be given to maintain herd immunity. How do you become interested in this topic? Tell us about your job and what you do. So that's a very interesting question, Sarah. I think it started when I took a year of my training to go work in a district hospital in Kenya. And I remember this one particular incident where I was on the wards and a very, very tiny baby came in with uh, severe meningitis and was having intractable seizures. And we worked on her for two or three hours, gave her every medicine that we have over there, including antibiotics. And after two or three hours, she stabilized. And uh, she, she actually recovered from her infection and we had everything under control. And I remember being so excited to save a life. And I walked into the doctor's office and I said, you know what, we saved a life with, with this kid with meningitis. And one of the professors was sitting there and said, we saved 10,000 lives because we've just vaccinated the whole city against tetanus. And that really put our vaccines into perspective for me. So I'm a pediatrician by trade. Uh, and I got into vaccines mainly through my work with uh, genomic epidemiology and trying to understand why some vaccines do not protect all children in terms of vaccine failures. And it was only through my work through that that I realized how important vaccines are in preventing disease. The idea that you can prevent thousands of cases through a vaccination program just fascinated me compared to being in the hospital wards where you help a few children at a time. And in public health, there is a definite need for pediatricians to be involved with the childhood immunization program rather than public health specialists. And I found myself in a very unique position of being able to work at a national public health center as a pediatrician and support the childhood immunization program. So I'm very fortunate in that I can take my clinical skills and bring it to public health to make sure that we have the best available childhood immunization program for the UK. I'm currently involved with both the meningococcal immunization program, which is world leading in terms of the vaccines that we have in our program, and the HIB vaccine program, which has been around for two decades. So most of my work relates to the prevention of serious bacterial infections in children. And it's amazing to see how well we have done in the last decade. I always like to ask a personal question or two, just to, so listeners can get a feel of who you are as, um, as just a person. So um, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do outside of work and children and infectious diseases? Oh, so I have two very young daughters who uh, I absolutely adore. So I spend a lot of time with them. My job allows me the flexibility to actually spend quality time with them and do things with them while they're young enough uh, to want to spend time with me. So I'm very lucky. Um, my job is very exciting. I have three employers. So I work in the hospital where I look after children with infectious diseases. I um, work in the university where we do clinical trials and we teach. 
And then I work in Public Health England, where I'm responsible for the national surveillance program for a number of vaccine-preventable diseases. So I have a real nice combination of jobs that keeps me entertained because I can move from one job to another. But despite having three employees, my work-life balance is actually very favorable. So I have a very good family life. Well, it doesn't sound like you'd have time for a well-balanced family life, but I'm glad to hear you do. You say that, but I'm actually sitting in my office looking at my two girls hitting each other just outside my office because they're just getting on each other's nerves. So it's summer holidays here and they're at work with me. So I'm spending time with them and then we're going to go watch a movie after this. So oh, nice. it genuinely is a good work-life balance. I'm glad to hear that. And thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Landani. Um, and thank you listeners for joining us. You can read the September 2019 article, Effect of Pneumococcal Conjugate Vaccines on Pneumococcal Meningitis, England and Wales, July 1, 2000 through July 30, 2016, online at cdc.gov slash EID. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.